This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching Fanboy. 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 Fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. Dot, I assume Tom. We're talking about a really tough topic today, um, especially for the month of September, which is Suicide Prevention Month. I'm speaking with a former captain or retired captain in the United States Marine Corps, Brian Buckley, about his his new company and venture in this. And this is kind of kind of a tough topic for me because I'm a huge professional wrestling fan. And just yesterday, we lost Daphne, who was a WCW wrestler, to suicide. She was in WCW. She was in TNA. Shimmer uh, Wrestling is the one that made the announcement. And uh, she was complaining about uh, traumatic brain injury and everything else, which kind of pushed her to it. And now we're talking about PTSD with the U.S. military. Uh, Brian, this is uh, interesting timing for us. But, you know, this is something that's going to be important through the month of September and really the rest of human existence. You're, you're a million percent correct. And thank you for having me and, and having the ability to talk about a very difficult situation as we do are in the month of September. You know, and even from my standpoint, being military, seeing the actions of what just occurred in Afghanistan and are still occurring there. And then you're going to have the 20th anniversary of September 11th coming up. You know, I just tell people it's a good time to reach out to anyone you think might be vulnerable and just say hello and have a conversation with them. And it really could make a difference. Well, you did tours in Afghanistan. You were military over there. You saw boot. I mean, you were part of the boots on the ground that saw everything that went down. You dealt with the translators and now translators have been left behind. American citizens have been left behind. Refugees have been left behind. Yep. You know, military equipment, $85 billion of equipment has been left behind. Uh, for someone like you, who is a veteran of this war and the people that are now coming home, what does that do to your psyche? Does it feel as if all hope is lost because of all the effort you guys put in to, to as best we could help the Afghani people versus, you know, what happened in a 24 hour turnaround? Yeah. You, you know, the conversation I've, I've been having with gold star families and some of my friends that I served with, and especially those who've been wounded, it's, we did what we had to do. I mean, I served in Iraq. I served in Afghanistan. I was in Africa. I was in Southeast Asia. And the whole premise of the global war on terrorism was to protect the homeland. That was the strategic goal of this operations. In terms of down to the operational level of being Afghanistan, America lost. You just, it's no if, end, or but. I mean, the people that were there in September 11th are still there in charge, um, 20 years later. So that's a loss, but that's not on the military. That's just on the politicians. It's a, in the words of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, war is where young men go to die and old, old men go to talk about it. And I'm just going to have to call them out straight up. We try not to get political, but this is just something I think should be very bipartisan. Mr. Biden failed hundred percent. How you leave that much equipment, how you remove the military before you take out civilians, how, before you take out equipment. I mean, anyone would have drawn this up that the military is the last to leave. And it was a conditions based, uh, basically treaty we made with them, or I don't know if we can call it treaty and agreement would probably be more appropriate. And what was frustrating to me is right now from May until the end of October is what we call the fighting season in Afghanistan. The reason being, especially where I was in the Helmand province, that's where the poppy grows. They cultivate it, turn it into heroin and they sell it and tax it and go through all that and they make their money. And then they walk back down to Pakistan after, at the end of October. I mean, you see the significant events just drop as soon as like November 1st happens. Why not just wait a little bit longer? 
what was the rush? I mean, I know you wanted a cameo for September 11th, what I'm hearing. I mean, let this thing roll until the end of November, December, where everyone's kind of gone. The fighting is is least happening. A lot of the Taliban are not even in the country. It just was tactically just it was just a mess. And people need to be held accountable. And again, for all that equipment being left there, it's like, you know, I tell people, remember when we were kids and we played army and you just used to leave your stuff outside so your friends could take it and use it against you? No, of course you didn't. You weren't that dumb. Well, that's exactly what we just did. Well, it's uh it's tragic from a political standpoint. It's tragic from an international standpoint. And you're doing your best to at least help veterans here in the United States. And you yourself are a bronze medal recipient and a Purple Heart recipient. But your company, uh, Helmand Valley Growers Company is, uh, is the name of it. Um, you know, produce cannabis, manufacture cannabis, and you're working with Battle Brothers Foundation and giving quite a bit of the profits to them for medical marijuana and the VA. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been terrific. I mean, really where this came out was with, was with the start of Battle Brothers Foundation, which was founded back in 2016 and really was just to help out active duty military as they're transitioning into the uh, private sector. So it really is a three tier approach of a personal, medical and economic personal. It's kind of like a big brother, big sister network. You know, you're an active duty person. You're going through transition. You're kind of realizing how difficult it is. We have a friend there who you can just reach out to 24 seven and just kind of vent, bounce ideas off of whatnot. On the medical side, we help out with VA disability claims. So if the veteran didn't get the disability rating from the VA they felt they deserve, they, we can go back in, help them and uh, enhance their rating uh, number. We also, if a veteran is suffering with opiate, alcohol, or um, post-traumatic stress or all the above, we can get them into treatment centers and help them uh, just take a knee and kind of recalibrate and get ready to go. And then the last phase was the economic phase, which is helping find that veteran a job. Imagine like the guidance counselor in high school. It's like you got a million dollars. What do you want to do with your life? You know, we want to have them excited, doing something purposeful. So they feel like the same way they didn't while they're in the military. They have a purpose and hopefully avoid a mistake they can't come back from. And then during this, you know, my other co-founder, Andy Myers, who served with me as a Marine Raider, you know, we had a very rough deployment in 2012 and, you know, typical stuff, trying to find the answers to life at the bottom of a bottle. You know, how well does that go for people? And Andy was looking really great one week. And I just kind of asked him, like, hey, what, what's going on? Like, you, you're just looking good and rested and all that. And he goes, well, I gave up a fifth of Jack for a joint. And I was like, wait, wait, what? And he's like, listen, I'm, you know, I'm not drinking and driving. I'm not blacking out. I'm, I'm getting a great night of sleep. And he goes, and furthermore, this is helping me transition from a warrior to a gardener because I'm really getting into the cultivation aspect of it. So we just thought that was really impactful. I tried some cannabis myself. It was the first night I got sleep and I don't know how long. And I'm a hundred percent disabled veteran as well. So we really wanted to kind of push it and say, okay, let's not just be another veteran advocacy group, which there are a lot of them out there and they do great work. How else can we kind of move the dial from a different approach? So I had an opportunity to meet with some members of Congress and said, what do I have to do to get medical cannabis into the VA system? And they said, if you can get data and if you can get American doctors, you're going to have a good fight. So through all this, we partner with a firm out of Israel called Niamedic Healthcare and Research Services. UC Irvine has come up to be our American doctors and they'll be our principal investigator. And with our, uh, you know, we were kind of now looking at like, how do we pay for this? And that's when we kind of looked at a Paul Newman salad dressing bottle and said 100% of profits to charity. So we decided to put our money where our mouth was and, and launch an adult use brand called Hellman Valley Growers Company, where 100% of profits can go back and fund veteran medical cannabis research. And our first $50,000 worth of profits we received, we paid for a study design and it got approved by an institutional review board. So we've been cleared to do human trials uh, utilizing medical cannabis.
Wow. Yeah. And UCI is like 15 minutes from my house. So I, I know like the level of stringent their medical, their medical school goes through in testing everything and going as, as deep as they do. So yeah. you've partnered up with a great university for that. Yeah. Um, may, may I ask you if it's not too personal, what type of disability that you have besides Absolutely. Uh, PTSD? And to, to be quite fair with you, post-traumatic stress disorder, I think, you know, and using the initialism of PTSD kind of diminishes what everyone's gone through. I kind of like the World War One use of shell shock mm-hmm. because it, it almost feels like it's nerve damage in a sense, like, oh, he has shell shock or she has shell shock. So we understand, like, we have to be a little more, you know, uh, I don't want to say walking on eggshells, but a little more uh, hands off and, and relaxed with somebody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in terms of, um, you know, I'm 100% post-traumatic stress. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, at first I think people, especially guys who are in like my units, you're kind of like, you don't want to admit any weakness and I'm fine. Like what are you talking about? But really kind of what we're seeing is post-traumatic stress is kind of dialed into, uh, you know, seven kind of, uh, stressors that can impact you. And it's, this not a military issue. It's a human condition. So things like imminent death or wounded or seeing people wounded or, you know, sexual assault, things like that can all kind of manifest into people having post-traumatic stress. And, you know, I, and you can laugh at this because I kind of laughed. I mean, if you literally tallied up all my disabilities, it's like 360%. So, um, you know, when I, when I was wounded, I uh, was hit by what they call an underbow grenade launcher. So that put a, a bunch of shrapnel throughout my body. So I still have shrapnel in both my calves behind my knees. I can't feel my left calf muscle. Um, and then I got some shrapnel behind like my left foot heel. You can actually still see it inside of it. Um, I did receive shrapnel throughout my face and down through my back and everything. Uh, the only thing that didn't get shrapnel was my backside, but I just credit that to about 16 years of football and doing a lot of squats. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty solid back there. Right. But, um, you know, stuff too, like what, you know, I was doing, I was a jumper. So jumping out of airplanes, you know, my knees and my neck and my elbows and my shoulders. And this is pretty much every joint. Uh, just has a little bit of wear and tear on it. So, you know, you get 10% here, 20% here. This is that. I got traumatic brain injury as well. So yeah, I, uh, definitely put my body through the ringer there, but, um, all good. I mean, listen, the VA is doing great things. They really help you out with stuff and they, they do the best they can with what they have. And that's why we want to kind of maybe help add another tool to the toolkit by introducing medical cannabis. Well, I thank you very much for your service. And for those of us that didn't serve, we, we truly appreciate it. And the ones that don't, I, you know, they have the freedom not to, so God bless them as well. But, um, you know, take us through the research that you have on hand mm-hmm. where the notion of medical marijuana versus, uh, recreational, uh, recreational use and what it does psychologically to the person, you know, versus, uh, versus what it does physically. Yeah. Well, you know, it's going to be interesting with our studies that are set up. So for, for me, I mean, I'll just say personally how I kind of use my medicine. My routine is, you know, I get up, I do my thing, work out, come to work. And when I come home, we get the kids down, you know, I'll probably start taking a couple hits off my vape pen just to kind of get my endocannabinoid system kind of revved up. And then once the kids are down and all that stuff and I'm ready to go to sleep, I'll take a couple more hits and boom, I'm done. And I feel everything loosen up on my body. Uh, the stresses from the day just like literally melt away. I mean, it was funny, like yesterday I was fired up about something and I go home and have some cannabis and I'm just like, what, what was I mad about? You know, you just kind of chill out and you know, it, it keeps me down, you know, even when I get up and I use the restroom and I can come back and I'll have to watch sports center for like two hours to hopefully fall back asleep. You know, what we're seeing here through our research, uh, the first study will be an observational study 
And the ultimate goal from that is we're going to be able to understand what cultivars and things have been working best with veterans. And from there, we're going to make a formulation and then a recommended treatment protocol. The joys of modern technology when you try to do a Zoom interview and things start falling apart. Luckily, we have telephone access and I get to pick up where we left off with military veteran and, for- and retired captain in the U.S. Uh, Marine Corps, Brian Buckley. Brian, you were saying about, um, you know, medical marijuana and the research that's going on with it. Uh, can we pick up where we left off, please? Yes. So, you know, what we're going to do here at first is more of a fact-finding mission uh, with our initial study, which will be with 60 veterans here in uh, Southern California, in California. It'll be an observational study. And really the end state of this is for us to have a better understanding of what cultivars and what what's working best with the veteran in terms of reducing the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And then from there, we will start to uh, we'll put together a formulation and a recommended treatment protocol and have a more robust 200 veteran study. And from there, when it hits the way we think it should, and I might sound a little more cocky than I should be, but literally Niamedic has already proven that this has worked, and they've done it in Israel, and they've published it in PubMed. We just need to kind of put our American face on it. But once we have the uh, results that we're happy with, we're going to move it into a, another state, and we'll do a retrospective study, and part of that's approved, like, hey, one, it still works, two, it's repeatable and accessible. And then we've kind of taken it as far as we can, and we'll go back in front of Congress and raise the right hand and say, here's your data and here's your American doctors. Can we proceed with FDA trials? And I just think with all this research that's going on, not by us, but by other people around this country, I just think it's going to be overwhelming evidence that they're going to have to start recognizing the medical value that medical cannabis brings. Right. Uh, with everything that's going on, is there research going on uh, in regards to THC in use of your study versus CBD? Yeah, so we are absolutely using THC. Uh, so what we've learned uh, via uh, the Israelis uh, is that, you know, you need a little bit of THC just to get the medicine into your endocannabinoid system. The uh, medical team at Niamatic has said they have not seen anything um, that through their research that CBD is a standalone, standalone uh, would work. Um, but what we will do is um, just have a, um, sorry for, sorry about that. Um, but what we're going to do, we'll have a uh, low THC amount to kind of get in there. So what we're thinking is a daytime variant is, um, would be a low, Tommy, it zooms down completely. Yeah, so I'm just doing it on the phone right now. Sorry about that. So, uh, Tommy came in here trying to put everything back up on Zoom. Um, so what we're going to have is more or less a daytime variant. We think it'll be administered via tincture. And then there'll also be a nighttime variant, which will be a little bit higher in THC, uh, which will help uh, put the veteran down and, and keep them down. But just through some of the research that we've already seen, veterans just require higher THC uh, amount or dosage at nighttime. And, and with everything that's going on with this and the research that's coming about, uh, is there more insight into how you, cannabis, marijuana, and everything else along with it had been made illegal in comparison to opioids, which you can get a prescription for? Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, situation. And what really might blow your mind is we've actually had taxpayer money from us go over to Israel to study cannabis. <laughs> so. But, yeah, we can't use those, that research to prove that it works. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, this can go way back to 
know, the Richard Nixon uh, administration and kind of going all the way through the war on drugs in the 80s and filtering through the crime bill. And, you know, hopefully we can do things right where people who had to pay a price and get incarcerated for cannabis, you know, they can kind of be taken care of. And, you know, we're already starting to see politicians admit the uh, medicinal value. I mean, for example, with the COVID lockdowns that we had last year, we literally just made our first sale as a company February 2nd, 2020. And then next, you know, we got like kind of lost with COVID in March and lockdowns and all that. Well, the state of California deemed us essential because people needed their medicine and you really can't take that back. So we'll see how the powers that be, if we can start moving this thing down to schedule or just deschedule it altogether and just recognize that, you know, cannabis is a viable option for medicinal reasons. Right. And before we were cut off, we were making mention of the difference between the medical aspect of cannabis versus the recreational aspect of it and what it yeah. does to somebody's psyche. Can we touch upon that since the, you know, since the connection died? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. You know, I think sometimes, you know, people on the medicinal side, they're looking for some sort of relief. It might not, you know, it might just be to kind of loosen up some joints or relieve some pain or help them go to sleep or whatever it may be. Um, and I don't know if they're really, you know, kind of that caring that much about getting a, a psychoactive feeling from it or the traditional high, if you will. You know, obviously people on the adult use side, I mean, that's kind of the, the goal, right? They want to kind of have that feeling. They want to kind of, the euphoric feeling that I can bring. And I think it's great. I mean, I look at people like, what's the difference if someone smokes half a joint or drank two or three martinis? And well, I'm going to say the person who probably smokes half a joint, they're, they're not going to wake up with a headache. They're both just kind of relieving the stresses of the days. So I don't see the big deal. Um, and I think hopefully more people accept that as well and start hoping to normalize it and we can get some more consumption lounges and things of that nature. Well, it does make sense. And then with everything else that goes along with it, you know, we want to see people healthy and it seems that health hasn't been a major concern of people these days, at least, um, you know, in, in our society, uh, they'll tell you one thing and then they'll do another and then they'll politicize something on top of it. Like, how do we sit there and, you know, get the science back into science without the politics? That is a million-dollar question, my friend. Um, how do we not get politics involved in this? You know, I I think it's like anything. It's just going to take some time and just more people kind of coming out of the cannabis closet, if you will, and explaining some of the benefits it does for them. I mean, honestly, on the medical side, it's all about the data and having American doctors validating and saying, yeah, this is absolutely correct. But I think it's a lifestyle choice. You know, I think if you start seeing more like professionals coming out and talking about their cannabis use, um, heck, we even had a great interview with a gentleman named uh, Charles Dimery. Charles played 12 years in the NFL, and we sat on the podcast and we talked about his cannabis use during his time in the NFL. Even, you know, he's like, you know, myself and 70% of my friends in the NFL, we all utilize cannabis. And he's like, but think about it. You know, our bodies go through a lot on Sundays and Mondays. He's like, what would be the point? Like, we go out to the bar and we just get all crazy and drink a lot, or, you know, you just kind of utilize some cannabis, you kind of start the healing process, and maybe go out and mingle with people with one drink, and that's about it. Well, heck, I think the lifestyle that Charles chose is probably a heck of a lot better than a guy who's binge drinking trying to get rid of some pain in their knee or something like that. So I think those stories will start coming out more and people will start being more embracing. And then kind of to your political point, I think it's like every generation as we get older, uh, you know, eventually you're going to have some of the uh, more uh, senior politicians. They'll eventually kind of start moving their way out and 
people of uh, our generation will start kind of moving in and probably be a lot more accepting of, of cannabis, not just on the medical, but also on the adult use side. And we we'll probably see some movement there as well. Right. Cause there, there's a lot of interesting factors that go into this. I know that, you know, the burnouts that, that I grew up with in school and you just look at them and go, like, I don't want to be one of those guys, but then the, the benefits of the medical aspect. And since this is September and it is, Suicide Prevention Month or suicide, you know, suicide, um, I'm, not, I'm blanking for a second. Um, how has this helped with people coping with those stressors and, you know, reversing the notion of wanting to just end it all? Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of like what we talked about in the beginning where I was saying, like, you know, I had a rough day yesterday, just, you know, just work and life. I mean, like everyone's issues that we all face daily. And I went home and, you know, got the kids all set and they're in bed and I utilized some cannabis and it's just the amount of stress relief and just the relaxation that hit me. It was like, you know, I kind of look at myself, I'm like, why the hell was I so mad? And I think that's one of the great benefits about cannabis where it just kind of mellows you out. It gives you a little time to kind of self-reflect and you're good versus, you know, alcohol. We all know what that can do to us. I mean, you start drinking a lot of it, you know, you could black out. I mean, you could get enraged. You can do anger. I mean, you never hear about domestic abuse reports where it's like, well, someone was in there smoking cannabis and they got in a fight. It's usually over the alcohol and stuff like that. And that's why I just look at cannabis being such a more healthier alternative. Now, on the flip side to it, hey, if you get up in the morning and you're ripping bong hits all day and you're smoking joints all day, well, I'm going to probably pretty much tell you how your day is going to go. You're not going to do much. I mean, it's just like the same thing if you get up and start drinking alcohol in a day. You're probably not going to have a great uh, productive day for yourself. So it has to be used as a you know, mature way and, you know, just like everything, just, you know, moderation and make sure you're using it appropriately and at the appropriate times. And with everything that's going on and, you know, depending on the state and, and where we are, where uh, where are you guys located, and where are your greenhouses that that are doing the research? Yeah, so right now where we're, we have we're down in San Diego, and we're actually going to be putting together a micro grow or micro business up in Lake Elsinore. So that's going to be a five thousand square foot cultivation, along as a storefront, and that's kind of how. And you know, we're going to kind of keep expanding from there. And what's great about you know expanding our businesses is kind of goes back to our Battle Brothers side of where we can start bringing veterans in if they want to get into the cannabis world. You, know, you just don't have to be a sales rep for us or this. You know, now you can get in and start doing cultivation with Andy and all that good stuff. So it's going to be pretty exciting. But, um, yeah, like I said, I mean, really the way we look at this formulation, um, it would be more of an oil form going through tincture side. So it's really going to be on the, the manufacturing side where we'll start developing this. It'll be the GMP uh, approved berry and all that good stuff. Uh, on the mental health side, I, I do want to ask you this. It's a, it's a slight deviation, but it, it's in relation with the mental health. Uh, for the military, you guys go between 8 to 12 weeks of basic training. And that's essentially where they break you down and build you back up to turn you into a military weapon. Uh, and, and I'm not over-exaggerating. In certain instances, in some instances, it could be pushing it. But why is there no 8 to 12 week and I don't want to use the phrase deprogramming, but uh, basically incorporating you back into a civilian lifestyle because, you know, you can't just come home and go, all right, uh, it was a 24 hour, you know, it was a 24 hour flight counting layovers. Congratulations. Go back to real life. Yeah. It's a great, great, great question. So 
you know, I'll kind of take a step back. What we have been able to do in the special operations uh, community is when we come back from a deployment, we will be essentially quarantined. I know people don't like to hear that word this day and age, but, you know, we're quarantined in some resort. And we couldn't have, you know, your wife or girlfriend or your partner or, or your kids. They couldn't come. It just had to be, like, you and the group of people you're with. And all the, the, the police are read in. Uh, we have drivers 24-7. We, all we, we do have uh, therapists. We have uh, sports psychologists. We have a family therapist on our staff. And we also got our physical trainers and all that stuff. And basically when we're going through, it's like you have to go meet with a psychologist. You don't have to talk, but you at least got to go and shake him, him or her hands. You know, they're going through our medical stuff, looking to kind of get us back ready again, what we have to do. And, and also it's just kind of a time for all of us to sit around and, you know, have some beers and get some food and just kind of talk. And the reason why they came up with this was they looked back when we used to deploy into theater for World War II or World War One, right? You're going on a boat across the Atlantic or across the Pacific, and it takes about two weeks to get there and two weeks to come back. Well, you might have seen some kind of crazy stuff or participate in something like that you're still trying to comprehend. And let's say you go to the chow hall and you're sitting there talking, and I start telling you a story about what I saw. And next thing you know, you're like, well, I saw something similar, and I don't feel so isolated, and we can sit and talk about it. And it really starts seeing that the problems were, you know, imagine you're in Vietnam and you get in some horrific firefight and you go home 48 hours later and you're laying in bed with a wife you haven't seen in, you know, seven months or a year with a kid screaming next to you that you just met. And it's a lot to kind of comprehend. And that's been very productive for us. And I wish they would open that up to more of the conventional forces as well. And then I think as your, your parties are transitioning out, you know, they do kind of a two-week transition, uh, the Marine Corps does, um, and is it enough? Probably not. Uh, I think a lot of people look at, while they're transitioning out of the military, it's like graduating high school, that, okay, I'm, 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 I need it, I'm going to get out, just one guy, I get through this, and life is going to be great. And it doesn't really hit them until maybe they're a couple weeks out of, like, holy crap, um, things aren't what they once were. I didn't realize how much the military was taking care of me on the medical side and all this stuff, and they need help, and that's why part of the genesis behind forming our nonprofit Battle Brothers Foundation was formed is to help those people as they're coming out and just kind of be a guide, be a mentor, and see what we can do. And, you know, I think the military is getting better at it. They do, um, you know, if you're looking to transition out, you can do an internship program and work with a company, and that's your point in place and duty. And, you know, I encourage the military to do more of that and encourage their military members to, to participate in that because I think it's a real nice way to help transition out. And there's also a great foundation here in San Diego and also in North Carolina called the Honor Foundation that helps out uh, special operation veterans. And they go through, I think it's like a three-month course of, like, finding, a, like, who you are and what you want to do. And, you know, it's been some really good success from that as well. And what has the civilian reaction been to what you guys are doing? It's been pretty much overwhelming uh, positive. I, you know, I really haven't heard too many people kind of push back. There might be one or two there just not really believing there's any medical benefit. But that was one of the fun things about, you know, kind of getting in, uh, engulfed into cannabis community was, you know, you always think about competition and like, okay, I sell this and they're selling that, so I have to like defeat them. But the cannabis community is kind of great. If you're doing something for a good cause and your moral compass point true north, it's amazing how people rally around you. And we actually have other brands who are quote unquote competitors. They'll do fundraisers for our nonprofits so they can help out too and help fund our research because they see the important value of it. 
And it's just been really, truly a blessing having that kind of, uh, you know, group of people to kind of just rally around you and help you out. And, you know, it's also too, is like we kind of police our own. If there's bad actors in the cannabis community, they get kind of flushed out really quick. And that, that's a really uh, great thing. So it, it's been great. It's been positive. And I think people realize, you know, we have one thing in our back pocket that a civilian might not is we can look Congress straight in the face and say, you sent us to war. Now it's your turn to fix us. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this a bit reminds me of what happened at the end of World War One. You know, the notes come out. It says uh, the war ends November 11th, uh, 1918 at 11 a.m. So the yeah. ele- the 11th day of the 11th month at the 11th hour. And yeah. they decided to continue to fight. They're like, well, we got six hours. We might as well just go at it. And it became one of the bloodiest battles of the entire war itself, which was completely unnecessary. Um, yeah. How do we fix that aspect coming back now, especially with what just recently happened in Afghanistan? And how are you with your nonprofit and your organization going to be able to help these veterans that, you know, in the last, let's say, just month, we're not even going to do the, the last two weeks, just the last month, feel that it was for naught? You know, I think the really the thing is, you know, having the conversations with these veterans of the Afghan war, um, you know, we kind of caught a glimpse of what could be back in Iraq when we prematurely pulled out of Iraq and ISIS came in there and they built a caliphate the size of the island of, the, of England. Um, but, you know, you, you want to tell them again, like I was saying, strategically, you did what we had, what, what was required. I mean, we kept the homeland safe. You know, in terms of what may happen in the future, I don't know. I mean, I, I would look at Afghanistan and I uh, heard a really, you know, I thought a smart comment. The, you know, I think it was on August 31st or September 1st. It was kind of like these next 20 days will decide the next 20 years of Afghanistan. So we just kind of have to see how things play, but I think we're getting a little bit more smarter as a military that we don't really need to put the huge land force on there and do things. We can do precision surgical strikes because we're not fighting really an enemy with a state or a capital, essentially. You're more or less fighting networks. Mm-hmm. And you just got to be very surgical in your approach, but you can have overwhelming effects. Like, you know, I use one example the uh, Iranian terrorist General Suleiman, who was uh, killed last year, mm-hmm. you know, he went into Iraq and he bombed the embassy and 24 hours later he was greeted with a hellfire. And that shook the Iranian regime to the core. And it also calmed everyone else down because this gentleman was thought to be, well, I shouldn't call him a gentleman, this individual was thought to be untouchable, but it kind of silenced everyone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can do peace through presence and I don't want to sound so callous. You know, I want, I know everyone wants the world to be like a, you know, a kumbaya and a happy place, but that's not the reality. And sometimes you're looking at geopolitics as about power. And if you can display your power, it can start, it can stop fights before they even start because people understand the ramifications that might come back at them. Right. Um, may, may I ask you from a personal side? I know you have your PTSD, you have your shrapnel. You said it was about 360%. Of, uh, of injuries in, in, if we totaled everything up percentage wise. Um, and you know, you'll take, you said you'll, you'll use your cannabis, you'll come back, you'll calm down. Uh, are there trigger points? And I hate using the word, you know, this made somebody triggered. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. 
But like, are there, are there certain things like, you know, a car backfiring, uh, a fire yeah. engine starts up or something, you know, and, and you'll hear the siren or something that will sit there and, you know, bring something out from the PTSD that you're like, all right, now is the time, you know, I'll, I'll take a quick couple of puffs and calm down. Are you also using a vape? Is it, uh, you know, straight plant-based, you know, smoking a marijuana cigarette? Is it, you know, bong rips? Like, how does this work for you? Edibles, et cetera. Yeah, so really what my, um, uh, yeah, I guess is probably the best word, like a trigger. Uh, for me, my post-traumatic stress really comes around uh, children. And the reason being is I just saw some pretty gnarly things happening to women and children on the battlefield. Not by our doing. Uh, the enemy would like to use them as human shields. Uh, we would actually purposely put ourselves in a more dangerous position in order to make sure we got it right and no civilians were lost. But unfortunately, the way the wars are fought today, it's not like, uh, you know, Civil War days or the World War One. you meet on a battlefield, you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be there's gonna be people wrapped up in that stuff. So really for what happened with me is, is when I started having kids, I started understanding, like, I have hypervigilance. So I'm kind of watching them and, you know, almost looking two or three or four steps ahead before they do something. Uh, you know, it's kind of everyone in my house laughed one day, but I was in my kitchen. And my kid was just kind of on the couch playing. And I was like, oh, he's going to kind of fall. And I anticipated, and I sprinted over as he fell, and I just caught him. And everyone was like, oh, my God, look how fast you are and how quick you are. I was like, well, no, I was just kind of, that's my hypervigilance. And those are things I got to tell myself to kind of back off and, you know, let my kids just play. And, you know, if they're going to fall off the jungle gym, they fall off. You know, not saying I encourage that, but, I mean, that's what kids do, you know, and not loom over them. Just let them be kids and do their thing. So I got to kind of repeat that to myself a lot. And I always tell other people, it's like, we all have our demons. You're never going to get rid of them. You just got to learn how to fly above them. And that's what I try to do every day. So, you know, one day at a time, which I know people, you know, can understand that. And then, you know, with the pain, I mean, it is what it is. Father time's undefeated. Um, you know, I was kind of laughing. I just like was, <laughs> I was like making my bed the other day. And I, I, I think I pulled my back, put my comforter on the, on the bed. I'm like, you know, what, 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 what once was room, you know, <laughs> those things happen now. Yeah. Uh, Captain Buckley, I, I do want to make mention one thing, you know, we'll tie it into, uh, some fandom here. Going back to Captain America, uh, Winter Soldier, there was a line in the movie where, uh, where Falcon is talking to Captain America before he puts on the Falcon moniker. And Captain America is sitting there in, in the support group and says something to the extent of like, the bed feels too soft. It, it almost feels guilty sleeping in, in a bed. And I'm paraphrasing so people don't yeah. get mad at me. But, like, how does that feel coming back and then trying to sleep in a normal bed versus sleeping on a cot or on a floor or, you know, worrying about scorpions or rattlesnakes or anything else coming at you? Yeah, that's a, another great question. I, I really think, for me, the probably the most difficult time was after my first deployment in Iraq when I was uh, over there uh, working outside of Fallujah. And it was kind of like everything. I mean, me just driving a car, I'm kind of like looking at the road like I was scanning for IEDs. And, you know, if I saw a bag in the middle of the road, I'd kind of move away and do something different and embrace of moves. You know, my friends could see when I was in a very crowded bar with everyone, I was kind of just on edge. I kind of went back behind the wall or back to the wall and just kind of started standing around and looking for a threat. Um, you know, at nighttime, yeah, like... You know, I was kind of used to being, being on the ground, so sometimes I would just sleep on the ground because it felt more comfortable. And it's just kind of, 
your own journey, your own transition, you kind of have to recognize what's going on. And I think as I deployed more and more, I got used to it and just could kind of transition a little bit more seamlessly where it wasn't that big of a deal as perhaps my first one. It's not like I was having like night tremors or screaming. It was just for me, just awkward kind of being back in the you know civilian population. So I really tell people, I'm like, after, you know, you got a loved one or a family or a friend, whatever it may be, and they, they deploy and they come back, give them some time. I mean, you know, I know like my parents thought it was a little bit weird because I wanted to go upstairs at one point. I just kind of sat in my room for an hour by myself. But I think it was the first time I was alone and I don't know how long. And I just kind of needed to just kind of chill out. And they're like, oh, are you okay? They're getting a little nervous. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I just kind of want to relax for a minute just and kind of pause and just kind of think about things. So just give people their space and kind of understand what they're going through. And it'll be all good. Now, Captain Buckley, before I let you go, uh, for people that want to be supportive, whether they either, uh, you know, want to purchase uh, the medical cannabis for themselves or for a loved one who is in the military, um, you know, or just want to be supportive of the organization, where can people go and purchase from you knowing that the profits will, will go to both, both organizations? Yes, if you're in California and you want to check out uh, www.hvgcompany.com, you can check out what stores we're in. And, and of course, you go there and you purchase any product, 100% of profits will go back to the research. And then also you can check out there. We have a clothing line. We're about to update and have a new uh, brand uh, line come out here next week. But the same thing, you purchase a shirt or a hat or a hoodie or whatnot, Again, we'll take those profits and put it right back to the research. And if you just want to make a donation to us, go check out BatterBrothersFoundation.org. You can go there and read more about what we do and our missions and who's on the team. And you can make a donation there, and we would greatly appreciate it because, you know, running a 501c3 or founding a 501c3, we just brought on an executive director who's running it. It really does. Every dollar counts, and you really see that. Well, although I know they are a completely different branch of the military and a completely different set of special forces, a green beret with your logo on it would actually be super cool. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that, you know, it's funny. It, it is, has a very military look to it. And kind of why we wanted to incorporate that, obviously, you see the flower and you got the Helmet Valley Growers Company. So HVGC initiative means Helmet Valley Gun Club. So as a Marine Raider, when you serve in the Helmand province, you become part of the Helmand Valley Gun Club and you get an HBGC tattoo. So we wanted to incorporate that into, uh, you know, our brand. And that's where we came out with Helmand Valley Growers Company to kind of celebrate the heroes who served in the Helmand province. And then if you see the five stars, that is actually the Southern Cross constellation. And that is what the Marine Raiders of World War II used during their Pacific Island hopping campaign. It would help them get to and from the, uh, the objective using celestial navigation. So we incorporate those five stars to kind of say, more or less, we've had a lot of great men and women go forward and fight for us, and they've returned back to America, maybe physically, but not spiritually. And here at Helmet Eye Growers Company, we'll, we want to kind of be that beacon in the night that you know, leads these great heroes to go live the American dream they fought so hard to defend. Well, Captain Brian Buckley, United States Marine Corps, retired. I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for talking to me today. And uh, we'll link everybody back to the website and everything else if they want to make donations or purchases or figure out, you know, what they what they want for themselves. Um, hopefully, you'll, you guys will let me come out and check the facility when you guys uh, open it up down there in uh, in the IE. And when I come down to San Diego, we're going to have to at least hit up a brewery for a single beer. You got it, man. 
man. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you, Captain. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You have a great weekend. You too. Take care.